death of one of South Africa's musical giants. In economics, Egyptian central bank governor moves to calm local markets' nerves following a surprise currency weakening. And in sports news, Ethiopia to host the 2015 Kekafa Cup. Let's get the news from Onelensinzi. Thank you, Spumelele, and a very good afternoon to our listeners. Burundi's embattled President Pierre Nkurunziza skipped key regional talks on Monday, staying at home to campaign for a controversial third-term burden office. Leaders of the five-nation East African Community Bloc had been due to meet in the Tanzanian city of Dar es Salaam, but Nkurunziza instead sent his foreign minister. Meanwhile, Rebel General Leonard Ngenda Kumana, who took part in a failed coup in May, has vowed further attacks until the government is overthrown. Over 70 people have been killed in more than two months of protests, with almost 144,000 refugees fleeing to neighboring countries. Egyptian authorities have arrested 13 members of the Muslim Brotherhood. This on suspicions of planting bombs around the Suez Canal to disrupt shipping. The waterway is the fastest shipping route between Europe and Asia, as well as a vital source of hard currency for Egypt. The security sources say the man formed a 13-member cell that included an employee at the Suez Canal Authority. South Sudanese rebels said on Monday they had shot down a Ugandan military helicopter fighting on the government side, killing the two pilots and the entire crew. The statement by rebel spokesperson Dixon Galkaluak did not give the number of those on board. Joseph Contreras, a spokesperson for the United Nations mission in South Sudan, said he did not yet have information on the alleged incident. Uganda has thousands of troops in South Sudan, helping President Salvador Kiir fight the rebels, headed by his longtime political rival and former deputy Riyak Machar. Meanwhile, survivors of gender-based violence in South Sudan's central Equatoria state now have a safe place to call their own. The UN mission in the country has handed over a temporary shelter to the local government where survivors will have access to legal, medical and psychosocial support as well as accommodation. The safe house was an initiative by the UN Mission's Gender and Child Protection Unit in collaboration with the Nepalese battalion serving as a Unimus, Unimus Human Rights Officer Anthony, Anthony Wopper. The object of this project is to ensure that there is a safe house for survivors who may not feel happy to continue with their environment because their environment is hostile to them. So we have to accommodate them here temporarily and offer them all the necessary legal and medical support as well as psychosocial support. And finally, Malawi is on Monday celebrating Independence Day. After a long and bitter struggle, the landlocked nation in Southeast Africa gained its freedom from the British Empire on July 6, 1964. Since then, the country has observed this day as its Independence Day. Jane Matibula explains. 
Independence Day celebrations are taking place at Kamuzu Stadium in the commercial city of Blantyre, with Zambian President Edgar Lungu and Kenyan Deputy President William Ruto among senior foreign dignitaries gracing the event. The theme is in line with Malawi's vision in trying to move the country forward in its development agenda countrywide and beyond. Gondwe says in the next 50 years, the government would like to see the country being a producing and exporting country. Malawi is among the smallest countries in Africa, settled by Bantu migrating groups around the 10th century and later colonized by the British until it gained independence in 1964. Channel African News, I'm Thank you very much, Onele. It's 1705 Central African time. French President Francois Hollande wrapped up talks in Cameroon early on Saturday on the fight against terrorism, mainly the Nigerian Islamic group Boko Haram. As Moki Kinzega reports from Yaoundé, the trip was greeted by anti-French protests. During a press conference that sanctioned his visit to Cameroon, French President Francois Hollande said he was calling for more international support in fighting the terrorist group Boko Haram. He said the group has been busy attacking and killing innocent citizens in Cameroon, Nigeria, Chad and Niger. He says military intelligence information sharing must be intensified. We have a structure of partage of renseignement. We have a cellule of liaison au niveau militaire. L'aviation française. He says French air forces now carry out regular surveillance of the zone where Boko Haram operates and are ready to provide Cameroon, Nigeria, Chad and Niger military with information and pictures on Boko Haram movements. Pour former les militaires et également pour mieux coordonner nos actions. Holland added that the humanitarian situation of refugees and internally displaced persons was getting worse by the days. Et je voudrais que la communauté internationale en soit elle-même pleinement informée du nombre de réfugiés qui sont ici au Cameroun. He says he is informing the international community that Cameroon is receiving tens of thousands of refugees, especially from Nigeria, who struggle with internally displaced people for survival and subsistence, adding that Cameroon needs urgent help. International, il y a déjà des concours qui sont apportés par l'Union européenne et la France y pense à part. Cameroon estimates in addition to the 50,000 Nigerian refugees it is hosting, there are over 100,000 internally displaced people in the country. Cameroon's president, Paul Biya, said his country's development has seriously been hampered by Boko Haram terrorism, but that he was committed to eradicating Boko Haram and needed international support. He says Cameroon will never surrender and will make sure Boko Haram is crushed. He says he is greeting the patriotism of Cameroon military who have made sure that not even an inch of the country goes to Boko Haram, adding that the terrorist group has however continued to attack with impunity. During his stay in Cameroon, Presidents Paul Bia and François Hollande signed four economic, military and cooperation agreements 
to improve ties between the two countries, marred by growing suspicion France only exploits Cameroon. Before his arrival in Yaoundé, Cameroonians destroyed the statue of Leclerc, a French general who achieved fame as a liberator of Paris from Nazi Germany during the Second World War. The Cameroonians, who were expressing frustration over what they call France's overbearing influence and interest in Cameroon, pulled down the statue of the French general in the economic capital Douala and circulated tracts that people should not welcome Francois Hollande. Cameroon was Hollande's final stop on a two-day visit to Africa, which started in Benin on Thursday and then Angola before Cameroon over the weekend. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé. Almost three years have passed since 34 men were shot dead on a hillside in the northwest province of South Africa in Marikana after asking for a living wage. To explain how so many people could be gunned down in broad daylight, the Fulham inquiry was set up. The inquiry needed to probe the platinum belt. Each of the miners had a name, a family, and a story to tell, a past and a future. Two weeks ago, the findings of Judge Ian Farlam's judicial inquiry into the killings were finally made public. Most of the families missed the start of a speech by South African President Jacob Zuma because the government hadn't bothered to give them proper notice that a statement was imminent. Today, we look at labor trends in the mining industry, specifically human rights issues. More from advocate Johan Greyer, director of the Center for Constitutional Rights, operating as a unit of the FW de Klerk Foundation, and Noel Kututua, deputy director at Amnesty International Southern Africa. The report is a hefty and comprehensive report comprising 600 odd pages. Uh, the, the Commission had to deal with uh, a lot of information and evidence before it. Uh, essentially, what uh, the Commission found, apart from a, a number of things, was that the, uh, the, the command and control structure of, of the South African Police Service and the police service itself, in the way that it conducted itself, uh, certainly does not uh, adhere to the notion of, of a democracy based on and founded upon human rights. Of course, that wasn't the only finding that, that the, the Commission made, but from our perspective, uh, a human rights perspective, uh, that is certainly for us one of the, the bigger concerns, the fact that uh, decisions uh, were taken uh, in, in complete disregard of, of the Bill of Rights and, and a police service that's supposed to be serving the nation. Well, also, that's very interesting indeed to look at uh, the the role of policing in society. No, could you draw your views there from uh, your perspective of uh, the outcomes of the Fulham Commission inquiry? Yes, I, I tend to agree with that Kruger in, in his view that the Fulham Commission report really makes them in findings about the actions of the police. The report, however, stops short of identifying all those responsible for the killing of 34 protesters and also does not clarify the circumstances of the deaths of 10 other people in the preceding days. What's important is we must always remember that there were 10 other people who died ahead of that fateful killing on the 16th of August. But what's also important to emphasize is that the Commission's report confirmed that the decisive cause of the 34 deaths on the 16th of August was the decision taken by the senior police officials on the previous night of the 15th of August, where a meeting was held of senior police officials 
and the decision was made that the strike action was going to be ended the following day, no matter what the cost was, and that decision foresaw that there were going to be deaths and that there was going to be bloodshed. And the fact that the police went ahead to implement that um, decision was described by the commission as inexplicable and frankly reckless. And the the recklessness coming in that the plan to disperse the strikers using force to end that strike was taken without regard to human life, which was going to be a possibility for loss, but they went ahead anyway. And we all know the results of what happened on the 16th. Very unfortunate indeed. Knowles, just staying with you, in terms of when that report was released, there was a lot of conversation about why was there such a fast-paced approach to releasing the particular report, especially in terms of uh, dealing and speaking with the, the families before that particular announcement leading to that particular time, because they were demanding for the release. But the manner in which uh, the, re- the report was released, there was a lot of uh, people saying, hey, was there a sense of compassion towards the families in order to let them know in the, in the way it was released and also just for them to, to actually get ready for that particular moment because it was a very personal moment for them? Absolutely. In fact, just ahead of the release of the report, you recall that there was a case that had been brought um, in the High Court by the family of the deceased and some of the injured minors in which they were trying to seek an order or to obtain an order to force President Zuma to release the findings of the report within 48 hours of the decision of the High Court. Now, that case was not successful, but one of the things that the High Court stated was that it would be good to give at least 48 hours notice of the release of the report in order for the families of victims as well as the injured minors to prepare for that um, the release of that report, and in order for the legal representatives of the injured um, minors and victims of the families to prepare them for whatever was going to be contained in that report. Now, that advice or recommendation by the High Court was completely ignored, and the announcement made by the presidency took almost everybody by surprise, and the report was released that same day at a news conference that the president called at 7 p.m. that night. Now, there was indeed a a total lack of compassion by proceeding in the manner that they did because some of the legal representatives went to Marikana on that same day trying to warn their clients that this report is going to be released. And when they were in Marikana, they were not able to get access to either a TV, a radio, to listen to the president's um, press conference. Some of the families, as we know, are in Eastern Cape, so they were not even aware that this was what was going on. Others have gone back to Lesotho or where they belong to because we know that in Marikana there are a lot of migrant workers. So it was completely unfortunate that it was handled in the manner that it was. It surprised the families and it re-traumatized the families and caused a lot of pain. 
That is Advocate Johan Kreyer, Director of the Centre for Constitutional Rights Operating as a Unit of the F.W. de Klerk Foundation and Noel Kututwa, Deputy Director at Amnesty International Southern Africa. They were speaking to Benjamin Mushadama. It's 1716 Central African Time. You're still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. Malawi today celebrated her 51st Independence Anniversary celebrations growing calls for the presidency to ensure that unity among Malawians prevails across the country. Celebrations were attended by Zambian President Edgar Lungu and other members of the diplomatic corps. George Mohango reports from Blenta in Malawi, where celebrations have been taking place. The celebrations come few days after Malawi's parliament passed the 2015-2016 financial blueprint pegged at $2.2 billion. This also comes a week after hundreds of foreign investors from all over the world came to Malawi to see and check on investment opportunities following recommendations from various economists. For President Peter Mutarika, the country has achieved a lot in the last 51 years, despite that there has been some slow progress. He said Malawi is undergoing exciting times considering that 51 years of independence a long way is now remarking history. Mutarika told hundreds of Malawians at Kamuzu Stadium in the commercial capital Blantyre. We must argue how best we should inculcate these values in every Malawian. I want these values to be collectively owned by all Malawians. Let me take this opportunity to acknowledge the dedication and selflessness of former presidents of the Republic of Malawi in serving this country. They serve Mal to the best of their abilities and we thank them for their sacrifice. That the economic transformation towards which the law is going through should benefit all Malawians in town or villages. The president's speech was in line with the literature that at the highest peak of nationalism, especially between 1953 and 1963, villagers fought for emancipation. Invited Zambian President Edgar Lungu, who was also the guest of honor, urged Malawians to live in harmony for the development of the two countries. He said Zambia and Malawi are not only twins, but Siemens twins, born at the same time and share distinct identical parts. Zambia and Malawi, having attained their golden jubilees last year, can now confidently say that both countries have remained united, strong and resolute in their determination to continue to afford their nationals opportunities to enjoy freedom, democracy, justice, equality and personal liberties. Our long-standing warm and close neighborliness are really informed by our shared history. Zambia and Malawi are not only twins, but Siamese twins. We were born at the same time with a difference of months, and we have shared distinct identical parts in history. We saw of colonialism, 
we endure the challenges of early nationhood, we returned our nations to democracy. And we have both pursued economic transformation to emancipate our people. It is therefore my fervent hope, Your Excellency, ladies and gentlemen, that our two sister countries will continue to cooperate and collaborate at bilateral, regional and continental levels across many areas. He further urged Malawi authorities to honor fallen heroes by not only remaining steadfast in safeguarding the hard-earned independence, but by ensuring that the names of those great nationalists are rightly embedded in history books. We should also never forget to pay tribute to friendly countries and individuals of goodwill who stood with Malawi in its valiant struggle for independence. It was in their appreciation of the indignities that people under subjugation and domination suffer that they were inspired to render their solidarity and support. Similarly, soon after our independence in 1964, my country, Zambia, became the foremost frontline state that played the pivotal role in the liberation struggle particularly in the Southern African region. Your Excellency, allow me to briefly address the significant theme of this important occasion. Whilst many of our countries have achieved political independence, we are yet to fully realize our economic emancipation. Our ability to effectively attain long-term economic growth depends on how well we can effectively innovate and transform our economies and open up new, modern and higher technology opportunities in the production and export sectors. This, Mr. President, would enable our countries to create the much-needed decent jobs for a growing population of educated youths. But President Bhutanika indicated that the country is, cre- is creating a local business environment and attracting foreign investors to bring their money to invest in Malawi so as to create worth more businesses for Malawians and create jobs and better life for all. Additionally, the Malawi president said government seeks to promote three pillars of progress such as patriotism, integrity and hard work that support reforms and national development. George Mohando, Channel Africa, Blantyre, Malawi. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kulitranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango.
Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The death of the co-founder of South African Mbakanga Group, Soul Brothers, David Masondo, has left the music industry poorer. Masondo was a lead singer and composer of many hit songs of the kings of Mbakanga music, the Soul Brothers. Those who were close to him described him as a person who loved music. Nongululego Shope compiled this report. <laughs> This will always be a voice reminding many South Africans of the late David Masondo. The song is titled Olis Moya. It was recorded live in Johannesburg where Masondo performed his magic. Masondo once said he was the heart of the Soul Brothers in an interview with one of Ukozi FM's presenters. In that conversation, Masondo said if he were to be normal, it would be very difficult to find his replacement as he is the lead singer and the composer of many of the hit songs of the group. I love listening to a person singing, but my first love was playing drums. And when I entered the music industry, I played drums. My God-given talent is my voice. And if I were to lose my voice, I guess that will be the end of the Soul Brothers. Because I don't think it will be easy to find my replacement or someone who can sing like me or compose songs the way I do. I sing and compose songs. No one writes songs for me. I also create dancing moves of the songs I have composed. The Soul Brothers is entirely on my shoulder. Moses Nguenya, one of the last standing members and the co-founder of the Soul Brothers, says he enjoyed every minute of the last 39 years working with the legendary David Masondo. It was very, very nice working with Masondo for the past 39 years, but it was very nice working with him. He's a, he, loves, he loves the music as, a, as I do, style of dancing and his uh, type of writing. I'm like, talks about everything between... Especially black people when we were suffering under under apartheid, uh, he also wrote about love songs as well. Tom Kize, one of the producers that worked with the group called Abangani, that was popular at the time, along with the Soul Brothers, says Masonde had a very unique talent and helped grow the Soul Brothers. He was very unique and talented. He always entertained crowds with unique dancing moves on stage along with the keyboards player Black Moses Nguenya. If the Soul Brothers had taken the stage before our group, the crowd will be wild and we really had to be outstanding to win the hearts of the people. 
attending the concert. Masondo was talented and loved music. At home, Masondo was a loving father, says his former wife and the mother of his two children, Wendy Kumede. Very, very loving husband, but uh, through his profession, he didn't have enough time for the family. But those times he was at home, we used to make sure that we together the family, together around the kids, and especially with him. David loved kids, David loved his music. He was always out of the country most of the time, traveling overseas, loved his music. We were married for quite a long time. We spent most of the time together as, as the wife who was staying with him. I will remember David as a person who makes us laugh a lot. I will remember David as a loving husband. As the news of passing of the legendary Mpakanga leader David Masondo made rounds, many took to social networks to pass their heartfelt condolences. Others remembered most of the Soul Brothers hit songs to remember the lead singer David Masondo. The dates and the venue of the funeral is still unknown. Nongulego Tobe, Deben. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's time for news headlines now right here on Africa Digest. Here's on Elenzinzi. Burundi's embattled President Pierre Nkurunziza skipped key regional talks on Monday, staying at home to campaign for a controversial third term in office. Egyptian authorities have arrested 13 members of the Muslim Brotherhood and a demonstration against homosexuality in Kenya has fizzled after attracting only a handful of, of protesters. Channel Africa News. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
1731 Central African Time. You're still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa. My name is Spomele Lezondi. The world will, on the 18th of this month, celebrate former President Nelson Mandela's birthday, which was declared by the United Nations in 2009 as Nelson Mandela International Day. South Africa will, however, commemorate the legacy of its former president for the whole month of July. The Nelson Mandela Foundation today launched the activities and initiatives that will take place across the country. Mandela Day is an initiative dedicated to giving back to those less fortunate, the vulnerable and marginalized in society. Komoto Mopulane reports. The month-long campaign aims to uphold former President Nelson Mandela's legacy. President Mandela became a moral authority and a symbol of what could have been achieved with true dedication to the cause of peace, dignity, reconciliation and forgiveness, and in so doing, helping to make a difference to build a global movement for good. Although South Africa produces more sufficient food for its production, skyrocketing prices prevent the poor, most of them urban households, from getting adequate nutrition. Research shows that over 2.6 million children go to bed hungry daily. Sarah Khan, chief executive officer at Stop Hunger Now, says initiatives such as the Mandela Month or Mandela Day are a chance to provide for those in need. 2.6 million children going to bed every night Mm. facing chronic hunger. My mandate is to eradicate hunger. It's a tough task, but we are geared for it. We live the legacy because hunger is not something you can eradicate in a day, in six months, in a year. It's something that has to be sustainable. So for us, it's all about building that sustainability. I have launched a million meal challenge for Mandela Day, which we will be celebrating on the 17th of July in three cities. Cape Town, Johannesburg, and Durban. Uh, what this means is that we will have to package those meals in a day. Mandela followed three principles throughout his life, namely free yourself, free others, serve every day. Following these three principles, the aim of Mandela Day is to ensure that Madeba's legacy is perpetuated in making the world a better place. Zalda Lehrange, former private secretary to Nelson Mandela, talks us through what she will do to remember Madiba. We'll be at Pambili Refuge in George. It is a home for rape and abused women that provides temporary shelter to women and children. The bikers will there donate a toiletry item um, and during their 67 minutes help with general repair work and first for women will make a donation um, to Pambili Refuge. On Saturday, um, the 18th of July or Mandela Day, we'll start our activities at 8.30 in the morning at the Vermont Old Age Home in Nisenau. Speechwriter to the Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Bobby Moore, had this to say. On the 17th of this month, the minister will deliver a cheque of an undisclosed amount. And this cheque will be delivered at an event which is going to be, is going to be a public participation program in honor of Madiba. The minister will also hand over two houses to two orphanages. The money that is going to be donated to the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund is part of the proceeds of uh, an event that was held in Austria where one of South Africa's orchestra singers, Priti Yende, whom many of you might know, uh, participated. So the proceeds of the gate takings will contribute towards whatever it is that the foundation uh, will be doing. The Nelson Mandela Foundation says this year's Mandela Month is under four pillars, shelter, education and literacy, food security and voluntarism and participation. For Channel Africa, I'm Komoto Mupulani in Johannesburg.
The South African National Park Survey technique to count rhinos in the Kruger National Park have received a stamp of approval for the second time from the scientific community. Dr. Sam Ferreira, large mammal ecologist at the Kruger National Park, says the paper published by Sandpox shows how the use of a sample-based survey technique gave an estimate of 8,400 to 9,600 white rhinos in the Kruger National Park. Yes, you are aware of a scientific paper that was published last Monday on the techniques that Sandpox used to survey rhinos, and that was, of course, based on the surveys of 2013. And what is important is that the scientific community has given the stamp of approval, of course, for this approach, which is a standard scientific technique when you are surveying rhinos. So in 2017, we estimated between 8,400 to 9,600 rhinos living Kruger using that particular and of course, uh, last year in 2014, we also surveyed rhinos using exactly the same technique. And in 2014, there were between 8,000 and 9,290 white rhinos living in Puka National Park. Now, Doctor, how accurate is this method being used by Sun Parks to count the rhinos in the Kruger National Park? I need to explain. One can never tell exactly how many animals are there. If I can do that, then I will have a very accurate account. This is why we always give a range. We say, and this is what the scientific methodology requires. It tells you that there's somewhere between 8,000 to 9,290 white rhinos in 2014. That means that we have got 95% certainty that the real number of rhinos are somewhere in that range. Why can't we always tell it very accurately? You can imagine when somebody is flying over the bush, some rhinos may actually lie under the tree and you may not be able to actually see that rhino. And this is exactly why you have to use robust scientific techniques to define the precision of an estimate, knowing that you can never accurately tell exactly how many are in a particular area. So are there any other methods that could be used from a scientific perspective to count the rhino population? methods that one can use, but it depends a lot on the size of the population. So if you are counting small populations, we're saying let's say less than 100 rhinos, then you can actually individually identify each rhino and can know exactly how many they are. But when you start counting large populations, you can't identify each individual. And if you've got 9,000 rhinos, you know, you can't even make up 9,000 names for that matter. And so then you have to go to the sample techniques. Now, sample techniques, what Sandpox use are aerial sample techniques, but you may also have other sample techniques, like, for example, mark recapture techniques. So in this case, you have marked some individuals, and depending on how often you re-see those same individuals, you can work out how many rhinos there may be. But that will also give you a range of an estimate, not just an exact number, as I've explained to you already. And uh, again, Doctor, what could be said about the issue when it comes to issues of density of rhino as well as uh, rainfall influences of births and deaths rates? Yeah, so that was the other important finding from that scientific paper supported by the science community, and that is that when rhinos live in high numbers at a particular place, so that means they live in high densities, you tend to have 
the birth rates, so the number of calves that females actually or cows will produce start decreasing. And that's an important result because what sandpogs can do is we can remove some rhinos from those areas with high numbers of rhinos living, which will result in actually re-stimulating birth rate. And of course, if you have more rhinos being born, then you are offsetting some of the poaching losses that you're experiencing in other parts of the park. Now, Doctor, what leads to the low birth rates when it comes to the high densities of rhino in yeah. a specific area? So what happens in those areas where you've got high numbers of rhinos, many rhinos are now competing for the same grass, and sometimes even they are competing when they're getting to the water and so forth. So you can imagine if a cow can't eat high-quality grass all the time, she doesn't get in really good body condition. And if she's not in really good body condition, she doesn't get that easily pregnant. So she first got to get into good body condition. So that competition for good grasses, that is actually in the end having an effect on how many cows may be born in about a year's time from now. That was Dr. Sam Ferreira, large mammal ecologist at the Kruger National Park. And he was in conversation with Wandele Khalipa. Authorities in South Africa's Eastern Cape province say the deaths of initiates in the province cannot be described as uncontrollable and have not reached a crisis situation. This is despite the fact that some initiates have been admitted to hospitals in the OR Tambo region due to botched circumcisions. Nine initiates have died in the province since the beginning of this winter season, while more than 50 initiates have been taken to rescue centers. Between 2005 and 2015, five 500 initiates died while 300 have lost their manhood. Gululego Nyembezi reports. More than 36 initiates between ages of 13 and 17 have been rescued from illegal initiation schools in the border. They have been admitted to St. Barnabas Hospital here. The hospital is experiencing a shortage of beds. So far, nine initiates have since died since the launch of initiation winter season a week ago. Provincial Health Spokesperson Cesar Kupelos confirmed that some initiates have been transferred to other hospitals due to a lack of space at St. Barnabas Hospital. In Liberty, trying to avert crime following the admission of 36 initiates. As a result of the high number of initiates that have been admitted, the hospital is experiencing serious challenges, which include uh, non-admission of uh, other patients with medical conditions. The hospital, as we speak, cannot admit at least six patients who require admission. The MSC for Traditional Affairs figured the class says the death of initiates in the province has not yet reached an uncontrollable state. Casa says the establishment of the temporal structure as a rescue center that will deal with critical initiates will bring relief to the death of initiates. Now our intervention, we have come here to create a rescue center to start with because we, have, we could see an overflow of boys who are being admitted uh, in the hospitals around uh, here. And uh, we hear that there are some boys who are kept in some place which requires some intervention, but we are not sure where to take them. So we are creating this rescue center, and uh, we have visited the hospital here. We we could see the number of boys who are there, and uh, the team is still going to continue visiting to see if they are... The illegal Amaboma. If they are illegal Amaboma, they will continue to take and save those boys, and we need these senders. Some underaged initiates who wish to remain anonymous regret their action after going to an illegal school without the consent of their parents. 
The reason why I'm looking like this is because I just uh, decided to go for circumcision, not knowing that uh, I would be beaten like this. I'm just praying to God to get better, and after that I will continue with my schooling, nothing else. Meanwhile, some parents of the affected initiates told SABC News that they want the perpetrators to face the full wrath of the law. The one who initiated my boy, without my consent, I have opened a case against him. The other one who have beaten him is also a wanted man now. I don't know what to say because this boy did not ask permission from me and I'm told that he did not finish writing his exams. He just disappeared. Has called on police to act against unregistered traditional surgeon who he claims continues to circumcise young boys without getting permission from traditional leaders. He says the traditional surgeon has been evading them and police for some time. This man called in China is around and he does not want to see an uncircumcised boys. It doesn't matter whether you bring a chicken or anything, China would circumcise the boy and that is a big problem. When we first visited him, he had more than 40 boys. After a day, we visited him again and there were 86 underaged boys there. He is only behind cash, that's all. Committee Development Foundation of South Africa Director Nkulego Nyesi says there are three rescue centers that have been established to accommodate initiates. Nyesi has welcomed the intervention of the Health and Traditional Affairs Departments in ensuring the safety of initiates. Yeah, definitely this rescue center is going to assist uh, in the sense that uh, as we speak now, the St. Barnabas Hospital uh, it is full of initiate. So this uh, center is going to al- uh, alleviate uh, the challenges there. But also it is going to assist in the, in, in the sense that uh, the initiates are going to be able to continue with the initiation practice whilst they are receiving uh, the best medical care. Meanwhile, ANC in the province says it's concerned about the ongoing deaths of initiates despite the interventions by the government and non-governmental organizations. I'm Gululegu in the Eastern Cape. It's 17.45 Central African time. We send Matibulas in studio. He has your economic news. Thanks, Pumelele. South African Transport Minister Dipuo Peters says she has asked the chairperson of Prasa's board to give her details of the diesel locomotives which were acquired from Spain but are reported to be high for overhead cables in South Africa. 13 locomotives have so far been delivered to the passenger rail agency. They are worth $55 million and a part of a larger $375 million order for 70 new locomotives. Peter says she took the word for of the supplier when the measurements of the locomotives were given to her earlier. Meanwhile, the South African rand has continued to weaken, dropping 12.3 against the dollar at the close of the JSC on Friday to 12.44 in mid-morning trade. Market analysts say emerging market currencies, including the rand, are likely to remain vulnerable this week. This in the wake of Greece's referendum no vote 
to the austerity measures, setting it on course to exit the eurozone. However, the dollar has strengthened as the currency is being seen as a safe haven. Richard the Camara is a market analyst. We are seeing EM currencies across the board coming under pressure. The rand is uh, among them and measured against the dollar. It's the um, second weakest performer. With regards to the the outcome of the Greek vote, it's basically has to do with with market uncertainty and flights to more safe haven uh, currencies and assets. We could very well see uh, um, the rand remaining remaining vulnerable. Um, it, it all depends on the next few days and the outcome of of negotiations. And South African mobile cell phone company MTN has announced the resignation of its CEO Ahmad Farouk. MTN says Farouk is leaving the organization due to personal and family reasons. He joined MTN in 2006 with the acquisition of Investcom. He has fulfilled several roles during his tenure with the group. Farouk is a former CEO of MTN Nigeria and served in a similar role at MTN Ghana. Before assuming the role of Group Chief Operating Executive, he was Vice President of the company in the West and Central African region, the Weka region. Egyptian Central Bank Governor Hisham Ramez sought to calm local market nerves following a surprise 2.5% weakening of the Egyptian pound against the U.S. dollar over recent years. The central bank allowed the currency to depreciate by 20 piastres in its official foreign exchange auctions on Thursday and Sunday, driving it to its lowest levels against the dollar since auctions began in 2012. And South Africa's gold reserves currently stand at $4.8 billion as of the end of May 2015. This is estimated to be equal to 4 million fine ounces. In a written response to a parliamentary question, Finance Minister Ntlantlanene says the large percentage of the country's gold reserves are kept at secure offshore centers. He says the South African Reserve Bank has the bigger volumes of gold reserves than other sectors at the offshore centers. Now for your financial indicators, uh, the dollar is still at 12.3 South African rands, 9.37 Botswana Pula, and at 7.32 against the Zambian Kwacha. Commodities gold at $1,172, and uh, platinum is at $1,074 a fine ounce. Brent crude oil has fallen down four notches now to $59.33 per barrel. And that's your economics news. Thank you very much, Wissani. At 1750 Central African Time, here's Tamek Boza with your sports news. In your sport, Ethiopia is selected to replace Rwanda as host of the 38th edition of the East and Central Africa's Regional Championship, the Sekafa Senior Challenge Cup, which will kick off in November 2015. The 2015 Sekafa tournament was initially scheduled to be hosted by Rwanda. Ethiopia is replacing Rwanda as host due to Rwanda's preparation to host the 2016 African Nations Championship chain. 
South Africa's Bafana Bafana are back in the country after seeing off Mauritius in a 2016 Chen qualifier at the weekend. Bafana beat Islanders 2-0 at the Angela Stadium on Sunday to advance to the next round on 5-0 aggregate. Sheikh Mashaba's men will battle Angola for a place in the biannual competition that is taking place in Rwanda from January 16 until February the 7th. Now, further afield, still in football, Kali Lloyd scored an incredible 13-minute hat-trick as United States thrashed Japan 5-2 on penalties to win their third Women's World Cup title in a clash that offers some hope of better days in the beautiful game. U.S. coach Jill Ellis says that it all went well according to their plan. Pinch me, wake me up. No, it was, I mean, we talked about trying to start fast, and that's been one of our mantras, start fast, finish strong. And first, I want to congratulate Japan. They are a tremendous opponent and uh, deserving of always ending up in championship matches. Love how they play. Coach of the Japanese team, Norio Sasaki, speaking through an interpreter, congratulated the U.S. team for a job well done. Sasaki singled out Golden Boy winner, Lloyd as the architect of their demise. Miss Lloyd, well, she always does this to us. In London, she scored two goals, and now she scored three. We are a bit embarrassed. She is an excellent player, and I really respect her, and she deserves the Golden Ball Award. Congratulations to her. And nine rugby Springbok eighth man and South Africa's rugby player of the year in 2014, Dwayne Fermulen, is in race against time to be fit for the Rugby World Cup. This follows a diagnosis that he will require surgery on a neck injury. The 29-year-old Vermulen consulted a specialist in Devon on the recommendation of Springbok medical team. The need for surgery was identified to give him the best possible chance to recover in time for the global rugby showpiece in England in September and October. The operation is scheduled for this coming Wednesday. And finally, in golf, world number one Rory McIlroy has ruptured a ligament in his ankle and is a doubt for the Open, which begins in nine days' time at St Andrews. The 26-year-old Northern Irishman won last year's Open at Hoy Lake. McIlroy, who has won four majors so far in his career, was set to play in the Scottish Open this week in preparation for the Open. He could also miss the chance to defend his U.S. PGA Championship title in mid-August. That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and back to Spomelele Zondi. This is Africa Digest. Let's check a bottle of stories on Africa Digest. A French president wraps up his visit to Cameroon. Tributes continue following the death of one of South Africa's musical giants. In economics, Egyptian central bank governor moves to calm local markets' nerves following a surprise currency weakening. And in sports, Ethiopia to host a 2015 Kikafa Cup. That wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, it's Pamela Lezondi, producer Luanda Mawama, technical producer Adrian Kenny, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you very much for listening. For comments, send us emails info at channelafrica.co.za, info at channelafrica.co.za, on SMS from plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. You can also find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One. Channel Africa One is our Twitter handle. 
We leave you with Benging Azi by the Soul Brothers, led by the late David Masondo.